lovely good whoops morning everybody it's really good to be here with you you are good singers almost made me wonder whether I was back in Wales you know um, <laughs> and I do have to reassure you that I think it's the whole of the southeast of England that is blanketed in this particular glorious weather at the moment so uh, there we go. Um, if you happen to have your Bible with you, or if you like to follow it on your phone or whatever, um, you remember our passage, which we had read to us a little while ago, is, is in John 21. And you may like just to have it open in front of you, if that's something you find helpful. As we look back over life, there, there's lots to be thankful for, but I suspect for many of us, there are also disappointments, maybe regrets, some of them small, some of them big, times when life doesn't work out in the way we thought it would. I think of a friend of mine, I'll call her Sarah. Sarah had grown up surrounded by brothers and sisters in a loving Christian family, and she very much wanted to recreate that family life in her marriage. Now, both she and her husband were deeply committed Christians, but they hit something in their marriage they hadn't seen coming, something that was just too big for them to cope with. And eventually, they separated and, in due time, divorced. And I can remember Sarah saying to me, I never imagined I, of all people, would find myself in this situation. There's so much I'd do differently if I could. I think of another friend, I'll call him George. And thinking about the Apostle Peter this week, I found myself thinking about this friend quite a lot. George is a dear brother in Christ. He is a gifted, discerning, humble man who was on the point of being called to be an associate pastor at our church as a way of testing a possible call to ordained ministry. Until, that is, he came to see me one morning to tell me he was about to lose his job because he'd had an affair, albeit a brief one, He'd been unfaithful to his wife on three occasions with one of his clients. He'd betrayed his client's trust, he'd betrayed the organization's trust, not to mention his wife's trust. And not only did that put a call to any sense of a call to ministry on the back burner, but it meant that he lost the job he loved. The job that in so many ways was his ministry, was his life the job in which he had helped so many people. And sadly, that gifted human being has never been able to use his many gifts and abilities in that specialized line of work again. And it was the end of his marriage. And although he has done his best to be the father to his two sons that he so wants to be, well, it's not easy, is it? For so many of us, life doesn't work out the way we thought it would. We're disappointed, often supremely with ourselves, disappointed and ashamed. And that's the situation we find the Apostle Peter in as we pick up his story this morning at the beginning of John 21. 
Peter, you remember, had declared that even if everybody else abandoned Jesus, he would never leave him. Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And he genuinely meant it. But Jesus knew that things were about to get much, much tougher. And he warned his friend, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then Jesus was arrested and he was taken to the high priest. And Peter followed until Jesus was taken inside and Peter stayed in the courtyard. And there, by the fire, when the moment came, Peter's nerve failed. And he denied he even knew Jesus. And then the cock crowed. And Peter remembered Jesus' words and saw what he'd done, and his life was in pieces. But mercifully for Peter, that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end because the risen Christ came out to find him that morning on the seashore. Jesus did not come to forgive Peter. Peter was already forgiven. Jesus comes to help Peter receive that forgiveness. Maybe to help him forgive himself, because sometimes that's the hardest bit, isn't it? What we have in John 21 is the story of a life restored and a call renewed. So let's look briefly at how it happens. In this passage, we hear that Peter and some other of the disciples had gone fishing. Perhaps they needed something familiar and physical to distract themselves, to soothe the turmoil inside. But they had fished all night and caught nothing. Then as dawn breaks, they're coming back to the shore when a voice calls out to them from the beach, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they call back. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they do. And suddenly they are overwhelmed with a catch that's so abundant, it threatens to break their nets. And it's John who first realizes who that stranger on the shore is. It is the Lord. And they head for the shore with Peter in the lead. And when Peter arrives on the beach, tell me, what's the first thing he sees? If you have your Bible open, it's in verse 24. If you think back, what's the first thing he sees? He saw a fire of burning coals. Another question, when was the last time Peter saw a fire of burning coals. Yes, it was back in the courtyard. On that night, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And as Peter smells the charcoal smoke, all the memories and all the shame come flooding back. Jesus has breakfast ready for them. And after he's finished serving them, Jesus looks at Peter. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these others do? 
yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And Jesus asks not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you really love me? And by the third time, it really hurts. But Jesus isn't doing this to make Peter feel bad, to make him feel how badly he'd done. Jesus is doing it to uncover the wound in Peter's soul, to cleanse it free of all that guilt and shame, to scrape the wound deeper and deeper and deeper. And all this so that Peter could walk into the future forgiven and free to fulfill God's purposes for his life. This is the story of a life set free and restored. So I wonder where in our lives, as we look back, where in our lives do we need to be set free? Set free from lingering shame. Set free from the pain of disappointment, from the haunting memory of failure. Where are the wounded places that Jesus is asking us to let him into so that he can apply his forgiveness and his healing to us? It's a question that comes to us personally But it's also a question that comes to us as a church. Are there disappointments for us as a church, failures, memories that hold us back together as a church? Things that have gone wrong that still have power over us and from which we need to be set free. This is the story of a life restored and of a call renewed. And those two things are inseparable. Peter is set free in order to follow Jesus' call into the fullness of God's purposes for his life. And set free, he most certainly is. And before we know it, Peter's there with the disciples in the upper room choosing Judas's replacement. And, you know, the part of me says that's a bit of a cheek. I mean, what's the difference between the way Judas betrayed Jesus and the way Peter did? In different ways, they both betrayed Jesus. But while Peter accepted the painful gift of being forgiven, Judas, it seems, couldn't, didn't. And if there is anything that demonstrates the power of accepting Jesus' forgiveness. It's the different fates of Peter and Judas. Peter's there choosing Judas' replacement, and he's there with the others in the upper room, praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, guess who emerges as the fearless preacher of Pentecost? Someone who is far too self-aware for my own good sometimes. I have been really struck and challenged. Challenged by the way Peter receives Jesus' forgiveness and walks forward free and uninhibited. That's the power of grace. 
it, it reminds me of, of that little picture, uh, almost of, of, uh, of a balloon that's anchored to the ground that it, and the cables are cut and it soars, set free to be all that it was made to be. I say again, that is the power of God's grace. Hallelujah. One writer puts it like this. Perennial grief and remorse over our failings are antithetical to grace, a denial, a refusal of grace, and contrary to the way God deals with us. A life restored and a call renewed. This word call sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? We talk about ministers, missionaries being called, and occasionally deacons too. But the truth is that we are all called because God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives, a part for each of us to play in Jesus' great call to his church to give ourselves to God's wonderful mission of healing and redeeming his world, drawing his world back to its true self in him. And if you've been baptized, then you have been ordained to be a missionary, not necessarily going to the ends of the world, though maybe that, a missionary wherever God puts you, ordained to play your part in God's great and wonderful mission. It's been said it takes the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And that means we all have a part to play. One of the things that uh, happens in churches when we're between ministers is that we're suddenly all a bit on the front line, aren't we? It's as if we're all sitting in the front row, and that's some people's favorite place and some people's definitely not favorite place, but we're all in the front row. And I know that means for some people you need a chair in front of you just to sort of help you stand up and keep upright and all those sorts of things. That's absolutely fine. Bring your chair with you. Push it like a trolley. But we're all in the front row. And God is opening up a space in front of each of us. And he is inviting us all to take a step forward, a step deeper into the plans and the purposes he has for us. Sometimes when churches are in between ministers, their only focus is on finding the new minister. And when that happens, it's possible to miss what God is doing with us now. It's possible to miss the opportunities that God is giving us to grow as disciples, to step deeper into what God is calling us to be. Peter was in an in-between time. We are in an in-between time. And notice, would you, that what happens in the in-between time is essential to what happens in the future. So I wonder... Where's God asking you to play your part? What's that next step he's asking you to take? What's God asking you to do for him? A restored life and a renewed call. But John's gospel doesn't end there. 
John's gospel ends with a revelation of abundance. This sense of abundance is there throughout the gospel, but in this final chapter, we have this superabundant catch of fish, so overwhelming it threatens to break their nets. And then the very last words in the gospel, that, that very last verse, and I love this verse. I just think John must obviously have seen our house, our house overwhelmed with books. There in verse 25, the last verse in the gospel, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. There is an abundance in Jesus that cannot be contained. An abundance of life, so that in those times when survival is success, we can sink our roots deep into his life and his love and be sustained. An abundance of life, of love, of grace, of mercy, and maybe supremely in these days, an abundance of hope. In these days which are so bleak for so many, we have an abundance of hope in Jesus. We have hope because we know that what we see around us isn't the end of the story. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we know that the day is coming when the victory of God's abundant love in Jesus will be revealed to all, and the kingdom of God will be established in all its fullness. In Jesus, we have abundant hope, and we are called to share that hope in every way we can with everyone we can. And we see that happening. We see that happening throughout this country in churches loving their communities through initiatives like night shelters, food banks, warm banks. This picture's St. Peter's Church in Streatham, if you know South London. And it's not just the practical provision even, is it? It's the conversations, the welcome, the friendship. We see it in churches in those countries bordering Ukraine, welcoming families fleeing the war. A few months ago, I, I was really quite moved to see on the main television news a report about a Baptist church on the Hungarian-Ukrainian border acting as a welcome centre for fleeing refugees. And I don't know if you as a church give to BMS World Mission as part of your giving, but I was hearing last week that there are now 14 BMS personnel back in Afghanistan working on relief projects in some of the most remote and impoverished areas of that war-wracked country. Jesus at work in the world through his followers in big projects and in countless personal acts of love and witness that nobody ever sees but God does. And wherever we are, whatever the situation, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us, the hope that sustains us in our serving. Jesus at work in his world, even through flawed and often failing people like Peter and flawed and often failing people like us. A restored life, a renewed call, 
and a revelation of abundance, an abundance we receive through trust and through obedience. So, what is God saying to us this morning? Because the risen Jesus is here standing among us every bit as he was there, standing on that seashore that morning. Here, come to restore and renew and call afresh. And so we're going to draw towards the end of our morning by allowing God, inviting God, to search, to probe, to stir our minds, our hearts, our lives. And we're going to begin to do that by simply remaining seated seated, and singing a song of love to Jesus. That's a prayer. The song that says, Jesus, be the center.